0: Good morning. Today is Thursday, September 1st, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in. How do you listen to the show? Over the air on AM 850, online at KFUO.org, or as a podcast? No matter how you connect, I'm glad you're here. Settle in, get ready to open your Bible because we're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is underwritten by the generous folks at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about what they do at lhfmissions.org. Now, if you have questions or comments about today's show, or maybe you just want to say hi, email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. I've been getting lots of emails from you already, and I look forward to many more. Yesterday, in chapter 12, St. Paul spoke of the differing gifts God has given Christians in order to serve one another and their neighbors, and that the true mark of the Christian is genuine love that rejects evil and seeks a peaceable life in this world, that we love our enemies and leave the vengeance to God. Today, we turn the page in Romans to chapter 13. Here, St. Paul reveals to us how Christians are to be subject to governing authorities, a topic which has been highlighted in Christian circles over the past few years due to all sorts of reasons, government mandates, and the ever-changing landscape that the government is endorsing ideas that are contrary to Christian doctrine. How does the church navigate these choppy waters? Well, to help us navigate Chapter 13, I'm pleased to welcome as my guest the Reverend Warren Wirth, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri, Pastor Wirth is a frequent and regular contributor, both on and off KFUO. You can hear him every Tuesday on A Moment in Creation with Gary Duncan. And today he's joining us from KFUO's St. Louis Studios. Pastor Worth, welcome to Thy Strong Word.
1: Thank you. Good to be with you. And this is our first time working together, so I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. And I'm, I am couldn't be more pleased. Now, I know that you're on the radio quite a bit, so maybe after the show you can you can give me some tips. And until then, I will say, you know, share a little bit about yourself, the congregation you serve, and how God is working through you both in your community. Well, thank you for that opportunity.
1: Uh, I have been a pastor in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod since 1979. (laughs) So you can do the math, it's over 40 years. And I've been at the current congregation I'm serving, Good Shepherd and Arnold, uh, for more than 30 years. So um, my wife and I, have been married uh, 40-plus years and have four children, nine grandchildren, Um, and so that's part of our personal background there. Uh, The Congregation at Good Shepherd is a suburban St. Louis, a smaller congregation, and with the COVID lockdowns and the fallout of all of that, the attendance is less than it had been before, but we're coming back slowly but surely. A faithful core group of people that worship and receive God's gift through the divine service and Bible class week after week. Uh, We're glad to welcome anybody in the St. Louis area who cares to come our direction. And uh, you can find our information. We have a website. It's www.goodshepherdarnold.org. That's goodshepherdarnold.org. That's our website. You can find about our congregation and what we offer
0: there. Well, th- yeah, thanks for sharing that. And, th- hey, our subject is going to be Romans chapter 13. And this has been a little bit of a controversial chapter. Not God's word is always challenging to us, especially whenever we want to interpret according to our own will and whims. And the reason why chapter 13 has been highlighted amongst Christians over the past few years is because the idea behind it, submission, submitting to authority, Is pretty tough. It's a tough pill to swallow, especially in an environment like a republic or democracy where everyone's focused on our individual rights. So, you know, over the past few years, and of course, even since you've begun to be a pastor, there's always been questions of how Christians are to submit in godly ways to the government without giving up their own convictions and without, of course, falling into sin. So this can be a tricky subject, but I have a feeling that you're going to help us make sense of it. Um, Is there anything that you want to add before we dig into the text that might help us understand where Paul is coming from, where he's been, and gives us a little bit of insight into where he's going?
1: Thank you. Yes, absolutely. We want to interpret the text in its context. That's always a safe uh, principle of biblical interpretation. So this is not something you just... Uh, cut out of the scriptures and interpret on its own. You understand what Paul is saying here, as he is speaking throughout this epistle with his fundamental theme about how we are righteous before God. And uh, you know, from the get-go, he points out we're not righteous before God on the basis of our own works or merits, not on the basis of the law, because the law condemns us all. We're all a bunch of sinners. We don't deserve to be in God's presence. But God has provided that righteousness that comes from outside of us, the righteousness of Christ, who is the Son of God, who became man for us, lived a perfect life in our stead, offered up his perfect life as the one perfect sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice to take away all sins of all sinners forever. His death and its resurrection are how we are declared righteous by God, and we receive that gift of righteousness uh, when the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, works faith in our hearts so that by faith in the crucified and risen Christ, the Son of God, we receive His righteousness as a gift that uh, is imputed to us by grace for the sake of Christ. As Paul continues in his letter, he also then talks about the righteous life to which God has now called us, as those who have been baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, who have been crucified dead and buried with Christ and raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. He talks about what that new life looks like. In chapter 12, you know, he talked about that we uh, live uh, our living sacrifices, right? And what a statement that is, to, to offer our lives to God as a living sacrifice, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed as God renews our hearts and our minds to live according to his will, his good and gracious will made known to us in the word made known to us through the prophets and the apostles. And then in this chapter, as as he ended chapter 12, he talked about not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. Now he's going to talk about what that looks like as we live in this secular world in secular government um, with people around us who are not all Christians and so that's kind of the, how we need to understand this in that context of the righteous life of people who are declared righteous as a gift by God's grace through faith in Christ. And now what that like looks like as we live out that life with other people. And, uh, and he focuses very much on living a life of love, uh, echoing the words of our Savior himself. You know, We love God we love our neighbor. And what does loving your neighbor look like in this context, in this world? And that's what we'll explore today.
0: There's no time like the present, so we'll go ahead and begin. I'll read the first seven verses, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. It sounds like Paul here has a lot more to say than just paying taxes. Uh, Although I think, up until 2019, that's pretty much the only way I ever heard this passage being somewhat controversial is, you know, does the Bible say we have to pay taxes? You know, he's he's got this touchy subject that he's addressing, but lead us into this, Pastor. You know, just beginning with the idea of being subject to the governing authorities and that authority being from God, how do we start to understand and reconcile that with, as you said before we read, that some of our governing authorities are unchristian. And sometimes they want us to do things that are unchristian.
1: Well, I'm going to take us back to the beginning. <laughs> Jesus always does that, doesn't he? When you talk about marriage and other things, you go back to the beginning, to creation. When God created us, when he created human beings, he created them uh, in order to live in community. And he God himself established government when he established the family. So when God created man, male and female, created Adam and Eve, uh, and told them to be fruitful and multiply, and they had children, that's the first government. That is people living in community. That is uh, living in an ordered arrangement according to God's good and gracious will. Now, of course, it's our sin that from uh, Genesis 3 onward— has rebelled against God's good and gracious will, rebelled against his order. And whether you're talking about the relationship of husband and wife uh, to one another or parents and children, uh, there is rebellion, there is sin, and that's what makes it hard to get along. And as the population of the world increased, there still is that very much a need for order. And it is God's will that there be order. Otherwise, what do you have? Anarchy? You have the law of the jungle. Uh, Might makes right. Uh, The strongest person uh, takes what belongs to everybody else, and that's not a good thing. So God himself has so arranged uh, the human makeup and the human nature so that even after the fall into sin, man recognizes the need for order and for uh, getting along with one another in community. And there's various forms that that can take, but it all comes back to the fact that God himself has so arranged uh the world that he rules through the world as we lutherans like to say through his left hand as well as through his right hand what do we mean by that well we distinguish between what god does through the church to whom he has entrusted the gospel uh the word of god so that order there is by calling sinners to repentance and uh promising the forgiveness of sins by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's how God rules uh, through his right hand. But the left-hand kingdom is how God rules in the civil realm. Civil government, as we learn here and elsewhere in Scripture, is also God's good gift. It's for our good. But uh, rather than working through the gospel, in the left hand, God works through the power of the sword. So through civil laws and giving government the authority to enforce civil laws, Even by force, even deadly force, if necessary, that's how you keep law and order in the world to protect uh, the vulnerable from the powerful, to protect good guys from bad guys who want to do them harm, and that's what's going on here. So when Paul begins this, he, he, he doesn't go into the weeds of all the exceptions to the rule or all the complicated questions that you and I might like to engage, and we can engage some of them today if you like. But the basic principle is set forth, just as in the fourth commandment, God orders us to honor our parents, and Luther rightly understands that that includes not only parents, but all the earthly authorities whom God has placed over us for our good, and under whom we are arranged for our good in an orderly estate. So also here, uh, civil government— Paul here calling them governing authorities, are placed over us for our good, that there may be order, that we may live in peace, that uh, the innocent may be protected from the the powerful and evil ones, and that government has that power given to it by God to enforce just laws uh, for the benefit of all, so that we can live together in peace and harmony. That is God's good and gracious will.
0: In this chapter, while he's writing it, you know, he's living under an authority that would eventually behead him. At the same time, Christians of this era were striving to be obedient to the civil authorities that existed. And there seemed to be, and if you agree, tell me if you disagree, but really two principles at play. One, Christians are to be civilly obedient Because the authority that the government possesses, it could not possess if God did not allow it to. While at the same time, the second principle is that there are occasions when you have to recognize that what you are being commanded to do by civil government might be outside of what God wants you to do. Or it may definitely be outside of what God wants you to do. Sometimes that in itself is an interpretive matter. So they're, they're, it's really difficult to deal with this simplistically. So I really like how you brought out that he's not trying to get into the weeds, but rather set forth the principle which begins the conversation. Absolutely. So
1: uh, he does not address the exceptions to the rule here, and, and he himself, though, is— obedient to civil authority, even to the point, as you point out later, later in his life, he will be martyred uh, by the Roman authority uh, and will face the martyr's sword. But that doesn't mean he's not willing to submit himself to the governing authority, even as Jesus our Lord did. So imagine, uh, if you will, that you know Jesus himself could have said, well, the earthly government is t- completely corrupt and I'm going to rebel against it. But it's remarkable that he didn't rebel against it you know, he condemned uh, sin, uh, particularly among the religious authorities of his own day. He called them to repentance, but at the same time, uh, even when they were acting outside of God's instituted order for for them, when they were usurping authority that was not theirs and corrupting the governmental. A system that was in place and tried Jesus using false testimony, false witnesses, scheming for his murder, Jesus nevertheless submitted and did that for us. It was part of his perfect obedience for us. He perfectly obeyed God's law to the end and offered up his sinless life as the atoning sacrifice to pay for the sins of all people. He was even dying for those wicked people, the wicked high priest and and his henchmen who had plotted his murder you know jesus was uh dying on the cross for them and for you and for me for the many times we have failed to obey god's commandments including the fourth commandment including our obligation to obey civil authority when it's rightly doing its job and jesus by his death and resurrection has won for us forgiveness life and salvation to be received as a gift as we repent and look to jesus and then we say now okay as a redeemed restored forgiven child of god baptized into christ how shall i live as a citizen in this land and i think you know you're right that we need to distinguish between what we owe civil authorities when they are governing us according to god's will and when they are not governing us according to what god has given them to do and that can be a, a tricky thing usually what we do is we let scripture interpret itself and see how for example in the acts of the apostles the apostles themselves were willing to submit to governing authorities but they would not obey earthly authorities if they were ordered to do what god forbid them to do or were forbidden to do what god commanded them to do particularly think about how god himself had commanded them to preach the gospel to tell people the good news uh, that jesus is the christ the son of the living god that he was crucified for our sins that he was raised for our justification and when this Uh, governmental authorities ordered him to order the apostles to stop doing that they would not stop telling about Jesus they kept on telling about Jesus even when they were put in prison when they were beaten and threatened with death they continued to preach Jesus Christ because we must obey God rather than men so when men command us to do what God forbids or forbid us to do what God commands we must obey God rather than men Uh, and so that that part is clear the application in every case is not always so clear. Uh, through the history of the world, uh, Bible-believing Christians have sometimes disagreed about these things or wondered how would this apply. For example, had you lived in the days of Martin Luther? And Martin Luther said, Here I stand. You know, My conscience is bound by the Word of God. I stand here. I cannot do otherwise. Okay, So he was taking a stand on the Word of God in the face of Earthly authorities who were wanting him to recant and deny the truth of God's word—you uh, can't do that. It's not safe or right to deny what God says and and to go with men who are commanding you to do something that is contrary to the word of God. Um, likewise, then the question would arise among the princes and the citizens of of uh, the German states when the Holy Roman Emperor was commanding them to uh, go against God's word, uh, to turn in this heretic Luther. Mm -hmm. Um, so, Mm -hmm. you know, your conscience might've been, uh, going back and forth on that one too. What must I do? What must I do? Um, in more recent times, you think of, uh, we as American, uh, Americans think about the American revolution and, uh, While most of us are, we're glad that we're citizens of the United States of America and enjoy the freedoms that God has provided us in this country, Uh, how this country was born (laughs) involved revolt. And so imagine if you were a Bible-believing Christian wondering, is it right for us to resist the crown? Uh, Is it right for the uh, colonial leaders to rebel against the king of England? Or would you say perhaps the king of England had exceeded his God-given authority and was acting as a tyrant? It is does that mean that one has the right then to uh, resist the authority? You know, Paul does not give us the exception here. He it sounds pretty ironclad, doesn't it? When he says if you resist the authority, you're resisting uh, what God has appointed, uh, and you bring judgment upon yourselves.
0: Absolutely, uh, and you mentioned the. American Revolution. Now, if our listeners think that that's just an issue that was debated 250 some years ago, uh, you are wrong. You should check out my social media feeds every 4th of July, because I'm friends with about 1,200 pastors on Facebook, and at least a good portion of them like to argue over that very thing every time. Now, St. Paul isn't the only one who mentions this concept. St. Peter also does in 1 Peter 2. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution But it's also very unified in the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter proclaiming two Christians who live in arguably a very tough time in history in terms of government and persecution. But rather, there is this idea that we have to be civilly obedient to the government because the government is from God. Now, skipping down just a little bit, there's another part of this that tends to get some attention when we talk about government and its right to exercise justice, justice from a worldly point of view. So then do what is good, it says in the middle of verse three, and you will receive his approval. For he, and that's the governing authorities, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is a servant of God, an avenger, carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. What does bearing the sword look like in 2022 and maybe how does that connect to how governments have bore the sword throughout history
1: very good question uh, throughout history governments have had the power of the sword given by god to use force even deadly force in order to enforce just laws right and so you think of a policeman you think about military uh, armies and so forth Uh, that is bearing the sword. So it's not merely a figure of speech. Literally, uh, swords and arms are given by God for that purpose to punish evildoers and to promote what is right so that the the just and innocent uh, citizens may not be abused by those who are criminals. That's the right use of the sword. And that would include even capital punishment. I know that it can be a very controversial thing uh, in many ages, and certainly in our own age, people uh, think it's controversial to uh, execute criminals. But according to what Paul writes here and what we read elsewhere in scripture, yes, the power of the sword to execute criminals is given by God to civil authorities. Now we would caution that uh, there need to be safeguards, right? So that, uh, and and thank God, in the United States of America with our Bill of Rights and so forth, we do have safeguards put in place so that there needs to be just cause. There needs to be evidence. Uh, a person needs to be tried with uh, opportunity to uh, have witnesses for his defense as well as uh, to face his accusers. All of those things uh, are in place. Uh, the right of appeal in case uh, there has been a miscarriage of justice. So there need to be safeguards so that, uh, the so there's not abuse of this power of the sword. Nevertheless, God has given the government the power of the sword, which includes, uh, you know, policemen doing their work in the line of duty, judges, um, executioners, the army. The army also has its its role to play, although that's somewhat different than here, where you're talking about um, enforcing justice. You know, armies have another role to play in defending people against attacks, uh, foreign or domestic. But, uh, certainly the idea is that the government is there. The proper role is as a protector, protecting people against evil. That's the right role of the government to protect people against evil, uh, and to use force in order to, to do so. Now, the question sometimes arises: What if the government is the evil? <laughs> you know, Nazi Germany comes to mind, right? And that raises a host of questions of its own. But in our own day, you talked about in 2022. Well, within the last couple of years, there's been a lot of civil unrest, and uh, the question about our uh, police doing their jobs. And again, that's very controversial on both sides. We would say. And I am one that's very much in favor of law and order. I think we should support our police and support the right use of police powers so that there will not be crime. There will not be rioting and looting and burning and so on and so forth. At the same time, we recognize that policemen need to use their uh, powers in a Carefully controlled way, and and we realize the sinful flesh can get a hold of people, and uh, they can abuse the powers that they have, and and misuse those powers. And we need, as a people, especially in the United States, where we have we govern ourselves, right? The we have a constitution that allows us to govern ourselves. That our government should be controlled in such a way that the police powers are used again, for the good of society, recognizing the rights, even the rights of the accused, uh, there's that that there too. But um, it's it's a delicate balance because if we go too far in one way, we're giving policemen too much power and they can abuse that and individual citizens may be denied their civil rights and they may be denied justice. But on the other hand, if we go to the other extreme, we hamstring the police, We make it impossible for them to do their jobs by constantly looking over their shoulder and second-guessing their every move when very often they have to make split-second split, split life-or-death decisions. Um, and so, again, it, there's, there needs to be kind of a balanced view on how this is to be done. We want, we want to recognize that civil government, when it's doing its job, is there for our good. So if you don't want to get in trouble— don't do evil, right? That's what Paul says. If you don't want to fear the government, don't want to fear the authority, then do it as good. You'll be commended. Uh, so if we think that we can get by with committing crimes and there should be no consequences, that's a big mistake. But on the other hand, we if you have been obeying the law and trying to do what is right, and you feel like the, that the governmental powers through the police are uh, harassing you— then you might have another view of these things. So we want to keep these things certainly in, in, in a balanced view there, that we, we should, as Christians, do what is right. We should encourage our fellow citizens to do what is right, to obey the law. If you obey the law, you're not going to have a run-in with the cops ordinarily. And uh, our advice would be, if you have a run-in with the police, ordinarily what you should you do is cooperate. You know, don't fight. Don't resist, don't run away, don't cause trouble, because you'll have your day in court. Uh, just don't escalate the situation by uh, being uh, combative uh, and certainly not by doing something that would uh, be violent against uh, the police, because then you certainly will uh, be likely to get yourself harmed or even killed. And so we would urge our fellow citizens, Christian and non-Christian, to bear in mind that the safest thing to do is if you have a run-in with uh, police authorities is to calm down, to cooperate, and uh, eventually you'll have your day in court and everything can be sorted out without risking uh, uh, harm, violence to the, against the police or violence from the police in uh, a combative
0: situation. Being subject to the authorities, civil unrest, capital punishment, law and order. We'll keep the spiciness of this conversation going when we return from our break. With me today is Pastor Worth, and we'll keep our conversation on Romans 13 moving with taxation when we return. We'll see you on the other side. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend Warren Wirth, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. Pastor, before the break, we were digging in. We'd gotten all the way through the idea that law and order must be maintained and the importance of how Christians respond to their governments. Now, I just want to keep the the conversation going because the next thing he says is probably as controversial as any of these other topics, and that would be taxation. He says, therefore, this is verse five, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And then for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Boy, taxes, a touchy subject, but taxes are important, I would say. How is this obeying God when we pay our taxes? That's another good
1: question. Uh, Ultimately, one realizes that for the government to do its job, there needs to be uh, resources to do so. And so in the United States of America today, if we want to have roads so that we can travel, so that we can have commerce, um, there has to be a way to fund that. So where does the money come from? It, It doesn't just drop down out of heaven, does it? What happens is the the authorities that God has put in place um, are there to collect taxes, and we would certainly pray that they would use them wisely for the things that we, the people, uh, would like to have done. So whether it's roads and bridges, whether it's uh, education, whether it's, uh, you can have a long list of things. Now, ultimately, and here's something where it can be very controversial, lots of us would say, well, shouldn't we just get back to the Constitution? The United States Constitution is about a limited government. And by having a limited government, especially at the federal level, that allows the people at the local level to have more control over Uh, what's going on in their life and what their government is going to do. And they can see at the local level, how they would like uh, things to be done, what they would like to pay for and what they would not like to pay for over the years, more and more, it appears to me that we've gotten away from the limited government that uh, the founding fathers of America envisioned and enshrined in the constitution. And more and more, we're expecting the government to sort of be like God Uh, or some people might say like Santa Claus. In other words, if you expect the government to solve all your problems and take care of every need that you have, feeding you, clothing you, giving you housing, education, healthcare, and go down your long list, you get away from some of the things that the government originally was envisioned to do, which only the government can do and that we cannot do for ourselves, such as national defense. Uh, some of those kinds of things. There are, so there are certain things, if you would kind of back off and say, what are things that, that we need the government to do because it, they can only be done by people working together at that level versus things that we can do for ourselves to provide for our own family's welfare uh, in terms of food and clothing and education and a lot of other things. So once again, uh, one could you could have a lively debate even among Bible-believing Christians on this subject. But, uh, you know, my urging to my brothers and sisters in Christ would be, number one, to look to the Bible, and then number two, also then look at the United States Constitution and say, what what is the United States government really supposed to do so that the government should— mind its business, and that then we as citizens, we the people, need to be diligent in doing what God has given us to do, to care for our families and so forth. And when it comes to taxes then, uh, the more we expect the government to do for us, the more money it takes, the more that we have to be taxed, which leaves us less uh, discretionary income to give to other causes, whether it's for our own families' uh, support uh, for our own family's education, if we are not pleased with uh, government schools, um, and so on and so forth, and so ultimately, if we want lower taxes, uh, we should uh, consider do, how much do we want the government to do and what do we want to do for ourselves. But even when we don't get our way at the ballot box, even when uh, we're you know the government that we're living under demands more and more taxes to fund things, some of which we don't approve of, still the word here is that we would pay those taxes. You know, Jesus himself had been challenged on that, hadn't he? You know, and, uh, the enemies of Jesus, the religious enemies of Jesus, thought they had the perfect question because whatever he said, they would be able to pounce on his answer, and he would be wrong. So they asked him whether they should pay taxes or not. And of course, paying taxes to the rotten Romans who were occupying their country and oppressing them, if, they, if Jesus would say, yes, you should pay taxes, they could jump on him and say, oh, look at this guy. He thinks we should pay taxes to these rotten Romans. But if Jesus would say, no, no, you know, the Romans are pagans, we shouldn't pay taxes to them, of course, and they would turn him into the Romans and say, look, this guy's saying we shouldn't pay taxes, arrest him. What, what did Jesus say? He said, show me the coin. So they gave him the coin and he says, whose image is this? And they had to admit, well, that's Caesar's. And what did Jesus say? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. What an answer. I mean, it, to this very day, it blows me away every time I read that account. And uh, what does that say to us? Yes, yes, we should give Caesar what belongs to him. But more than that, we should give to God what is his. You know, we are created in the image of God. Everything we are and have comes from God. So uh, often our rebellious nature that rears up its ugly head against civil government is really also that we're rebelling against God himself. We don't want to obey God. We don't want to submit to his rules. Instead, we want to make ourselves God in his place. So again, the word of God calls us to repentance and uh, drives us to Jesus and drives us to the cross to plead to God for forgiveness and say, Lord, help me to walk in newness of life, to be a citizen who Gives taxes, pays taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. Uh, And you had quoted from Peter before when he tells us, uh, he said to uh, honor the, the emperor. Yeah, we'll honor the emperor, we'll honor the king, but there's a limit there too. So when early Christians were supposed to worship the emperor as a god and offer incense to him as a god, That was crossing the line. It's like, we can't do that. You know, we can honor uh, the emperor. We can honor the king as someone that God has put over us for our good. That's fine. We'll honor them in that respect, but not if it means that we're going to worship the earthly authorities as if they were a false god. That we must
0: not do. I find it interesting in the scriptures that there appear to be two main groups of people where God commands the population to support them with their money, and they really – it follows the lines of the you know, two realms of the kingdom, right? The right-hand realm, the realm of the gospel, and the left-hand realm, the realm of law, civil government. And we see in the Old Testament, for example, it was mandatory that the people with tithes be uh, paying and supporting and distributing them among the Levites to support their vocation, which was to be the priest's. And then we see here this necessity to support government with your taxes. So we see here that God has something to say about the necessity of paying taxes in the same way he has something to say about the necessity of supporting the efforts of the church, because both of these are two sides of God's kingdom and how he rules in this world, which is why it's not unexpected to see Paul in verse seven here, as you so eloquently pointed out embodying jesus's teaching of render unto caesar what is caesar's and render unto god what is god's pay to all what is owed to them and then he takes starts with taxes but then he takes it to something more deeper respect and honor but as it comes to honoring the emperor as you also pointed out yeah there is a line uh, before we move on to the last uh, few verses of our chapter today anything else you want to make sure is brought across
1: I guess by way of summary, just to say, uh, every day we need to come to God in repentance and faith as the baptized children of God that we are, and ask God to show us how we're to live as uh, His baptized children in every area of life. So, as Christian citizens, to respect those that are placed over us. And often that means that we honor the office, even if the person who currently is occupying the office uh, is not. The the best person right and and we say lord help me to recognize that fine line sometimes where i'm going to obey you rather than men but otherwise i will respect and honor civil authorities that you put there for my good
0: at the end of verse 7 he says you know pay to all what is owed to them it's interesting how he begins verse 8 i'm going to read verses 8 through 14 oh no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Okay, so he finishes verse 7 with saying, you know, pay all of these things that you owe to these people, and then curiously begins the very next sentence with, owe no one anything oh, except to love each other. Uh, Pastor, help us understand.
1: Okay, so the other things that we owe are things that we actually can pay and pay off. So if you owe so much in taxes and you pay your taxes— that debt has been paid; you don't owe anymore. But the thing that he's saying here is the one thing that uh, that we want to continually owe and can never pay off is that continuing debt to love one another, and that's love one another as God has loved you in Christ. That's what you really need to understand. How many times in Scripture the Lord calls us to love one another, and that that love is inexhaustible, even as God's love for us is inexhaustible in Christ. We need God's love day after day after day, morning and night. We need that love. We need that forgiveness that God so richly provides us in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as those who have received the love of God in Christ, then the Holy Spirit moves us to love as we have been loved. And that debt is is uh, never exhausted. You know, we, we, we gladly uh, love one another day after day, morning and night, and it shows itself in in many many ways. So when when uh, Paul then points to the commandments, and particularly here the second table of the commandments. So we have the first table, of course, deals with that we should love God above all things. We should fear love and God, love, fear love and trust in God above all things. We should love our neighbor as ourselves, and then he spells those out, saying that we should not commit adultery, not murder, not steal, not covet and all the other commandments of the second table of the law, they're summed up in that one word, we shall love our neighbor as ourselves. Love doesn't do wrong to its neighbor. Instead, love is the fulfilling of the law. So that's as Christians who have experienced the love, received the love of God in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now we respond by loving our neighbor. And that love shows itself in keeping of the commandments regarding civil government, in living as a citizen who seeks the good of the country, the good of the state, the good of the city in which we live. We want to be good citizens who care about our neighbors. If they're hungry, we want to feed them. If they're thirsty, we want to provide them drink. Uh, if they're sick or in prison, we want to visit them. We want to uh, work for the good of all. And that that's, that's, in our DNA, as those who are God's new creation, born again by water and the Spirit through the Word, uh, we, we are God's new people, um, and so uh, yeah, d- day by day, that's what we do. So it's it's uh, it's not a burden; rather, it's our joyful our joyful duty as children of God. Redeemed, restored, forgiven, baptized into Christ. We now want to love others as God has loved us, and that's something that is inexhaustible as long as we live in this world. That's what we're called to do.
0: I love that because that really is the message of Romans: is the love and, of course, grace with which God has loved us through Jesus Christ, and that is the natural position of the redeemed child of God, the Christian. We're to love. Others. So when he says, oh, no one, anything, it's in a little bit of a different context. This means, you know, don't keep a balance. Don't leave the balance. You know, I'm reminded of, you know, Leviticus where it talks about, you know, not keeping the wages of your workers all night, but you pay them right away. So don't carry a balance. If, you know, if you, if you owe something like taxes or revenue or maybe respect or honor, you know, pay those things, pay honor, pay respect, pay your taxes but he couches it in these this greater commandment which is love. These things are done out of love. Our love for God is shown when we love our neighbors. In verse 11, besides this you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. But he starts to get really poetic here in these last few verses and it is beautiful prose because it tells us that each day we're closer and closer to Christ's return. How would have the original hearers heard that? I mean, he, he, the hour has come to wake from sleep. I think the modern day understanding of being woke is a lot different than what Paul's talking about here. But how are these early Christians and us encouraged by Paul's words in the remaining verses?
1: Well, the, the verses that follow kind of spell that out, do they not? Because if we're sleeping and then we're overcome by the darkness. And he talks about the darkness uh, in terms of the works of the flesh, when he talks about orgies and drunkenness and so forth, sexual immorality, sensuality, and lest we think, oh, that's easy because I don't do anything like that. He also mentions quarreling and jealousy. So our sinful flesh, Uh, would ordinarily be controlled by the forces of darkness, the prince of this world, the devil. The the, the devil, the world and our flesh want to get us to do what is displeasing to God and not really loving toward our neighbor either when we're doing things like that. That is darkness. That is not uh, being awakened to the reality that Christ is coming again. So being awake here is awake to the idea that our Lord and Savior Jesus says, behold, I'm coming soon. Uh, and he has given us work to do. How many parables of our Lord are about the master entrusting his goods to his servants and saying, I'll be back. Meanwhile, use my stuff the way I told you to. And so as we, as good stewards, as faithful servants, use what God has given us, our time, our talent, our treasures, all the things of this life, we live our lives as those who are expecting our Lord to return. The owner of all the stuff, the master of the household will return. He says, I'm coming soon and it will be at an hour we do not expect. So what uh, Paul is saying here is our the, the day of salvation, the day of our Lord's return, the day of resurrection is getting closer day by day. Uh, when we first came to faith, you know we Jesus said, I'm coming soon. Well, each day we're getting closer to that day of his coming. And so we should live as those who are aware of that, who are looking forward to our Lord's coming and want to serve him faithfully until that day arrives. And so we serve the Lord faithfully by avoiding these works of darkness that he warns against, orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling and jealousy, and instead We want to recognize that we have been born again by the water and the Spirit in the Holy Baptism as the Holy Spirit has worked repentance and faith in our hearts. We want to live each day as God's repentant, believing people eagerly looking forward to Christ's return. So instead of living that way, we put off like dirty clothes, put off the works of darkness, put on the clean uh, armor of light, uh, the You know, think about what Paul writes to the Ephesians about the, uh, the armor that God himself provides, When he talks about fighting against the the forces of darkness and standing firm, being strong in the Lord, being strong in his mighty power, putting on the armor of God. And he talks about each part of the, uh, Weapons that God supplies and compares it to the weapons that, say, a a Roman soldier would have. So we have the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit and the uh, shield of faith and all of these things that God himself provides uh, to fight against the forces of darkness that would drag us down, take us away from Christ. Instead, we want to stand up for Christ, stand up for the gospel Fight the good fight as God himself provides the strength. God himself gives us the grace. God himself provides the weaponry. So when he talks about putting on the armor of light, a couple of verses later, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So ultimately, it's the Lord Jesus Christ who supplies all that we need, not only for our justification that we may be declared righteous in the sight of God, but also for our sanctification that we may live as God's new people bought with the price of Jesus' blood, baptized into Christ, crucified, dead, and buried with Christ, and raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. And that newness of life is characterized by love, that we love God, that we love our neighbor, and that we serve our neighbor by what we do.
0: Once again, Paul is embodying the teachings of Jesus. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell in the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all of these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man." So those who might be critical of Paul thinking that he's coming out with his new gospel that isn't consistent with the teachings of Christ are not reading either Christ or Paul correctly. And they're certainly not understanding that all of this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So to walk properly as in the daytime, not in all of these evil things. And yes, I love how Paul, he, he, when he gives these lists of licentious lawless behaviors – Some of them we can probably rightly go, yeah, I'm not involved with that, but he makes them so all-encompassing, and he always includes some of these what we might consider smaller minor sins to remind us that they too are damning before God. Yeah, he catches us all. He doesn't let anybody off the hook, and nor should he, because we all find ourselves in that. So yeah, we may not find ourselves in drunkenness or sexual immorality, but yeah, once he gets to quarreling and jealousy, all mouths are stopped. But as you pointed out, what do we put on? The Lord Jesus Christ. But making no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, that's also a very difficult battle for the Christian. You know, we struggle against the old self consistently, having to return to Christ for forgiveness and seeking out the Holy Spirit as he strengthens our faith walk. How do we, in these last few minutes, Pastor, You know, how do we take all of what we've talked about in chapter 13 and understand it both from its law point of view, but connect it to the gospel of Christ? Let's leave the listeners with a solid gospel message that they can take home and share with those they love.
1: Well, it all comes back to baptism, doesn't it? Because in Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about that we're not going to go on sinning so that grace may increase. By no means. We died to sin. We're not going to live it any longer because where did we die to sin? When we were crucified, dead, and buried with Christ in baptism and raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. So we have died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. The old you, the old me, that was a slave to sin has been dead and buried a new you a new me has been brought out of the waters of holy baptism to live as god's new creation delighting in god's will hating sin hating to live that way not wanting to be a slave to sin anymore instead we want to live not under the law but under grace as God's redeemed, restored, forgiven children made new in Christ. So he saved us from our sins, saved us for a new life in Christ. And that new life shows itself in all our relationships, husband and wife, parents and children, and yes, also citizens in their uh, living in their government in this world, seeking to give respect and honor to those that God has placed over us for our good, trying to be good citizens that work for the good of our neighbors, showing the love of Christ in all we say and do.
0: I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Warren Wirth, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. He's a regular guest on various KFUO programs, so head to KFUO.org and search for his name to hear more. Pastor Worth, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure. And I'm also grateful to you, dear Christian, for listening to thy strong word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. We will gather together again around the scriptures next time and continue our study of Paul's letter to the Romans. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you as we all pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.